0: out of revival services and provided music and preached. He'd married a young wife, and uh, when he uh, was in the middle of his ministry, his wife, who was enamored with the things of the world, said, I don't want to be involved in ministry anymore. And she said, I'm going to leave you. And she left Charles Weigel, and uh, she said, you've got a choice, either me or the ministry. And uh, he said, I cannot forsake the Lord who has been so faithful to me. And so she left him and, boy, just broke his heart. I mean, broke his heart. He quit traveling. He quit singing. And for five years, he did not uh, do anything as far as ministry was concerned. He had a a place down in Florida that he went to for vacation time and to get alone with the Lord. He was sitting on a dock one evening and during that five years and was at probably the lowest point. And his heart was just so sorrowful and broken over all this that had happened and taken place. He was sitting on the edge of the dock one evening in the dark, and he looked down at the water and he thought how easy it would be to slip into the water and no one would even miss him, and he would drown and take his own life. God spared him that night. God kept him from doing that. A few years later, he was in attendance at a a revival meeting in Indiana. And one of the men that were on the platform during that camp meeting looked back and saw Brother Weigel in the crowd. And he said, Brother Weigel, I'd like for if you would, to come to the platform. And he came up and he said, if you would, I'd like you to sing us a song. And uh, Brother Weigel reached inside of his coat pocket. and He pulled out a little piece of paper. And it was all raggedy and tattered and had been well worn and tear-stained. And he sang that song, a song that God had given him in his darkest hour. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. He did something that no other friend could do. He said, I'll tell you how He changed my life completely. What a a message. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and pain. Jesus placed His strong and loving arms around me. He led me in the way I ought to go. So many wonderful truths that God had given to Brother Weigel in his darkest hour. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when we get saved and we go to church all the time, we read our Bibles and we kind of get in the routine of things, we kind of lose our vision of who God is, what He does for us. And we do us well from time to time to look back and say, Lord, what an amazing God You've been to me. The blessings that You've brought into my life. I love Brother Richard's testimony in Sunday School this morning. He said, I like to call them little miracles. I thought, boy, what a great, great way to say that. The truth is, we live every day with God's bounty upon our lives, don't we? We don't deserve any of it, but He gives it to us out of His bounty, out of His grace, unmerited favor, and we thank Him for that. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number 5. We are... Uh, on our fourth or fifth week, I believe it is, of studying the Sermon on the Mount and uh, have been dealing with the Beatitudes. The, uh, the message is the longest recorded message that we have in Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he's not teaching here or te- preaching on salvation. He, the entirety of this message is a message of discipleship. After we are saved, we're to live for the Lord, we're to uh, be discipled. In other words, uh, we're to be taught the oracles of God's Word, the things that are given to us um, in the area of how we're to live, uh, how we're to walk, how we're to grow in the Christian life. And so God has at this point chosen His twelve disciples. He did that in chapter 4 of Matthew and as he continues to teach them he teaches them what he desires to see in their life and what makes him happy what pleases him it would do us well to from time to time in fact i would think on a fairly often basis to go back and read matthew chapters 5 6 and 7 and read the sermon on the mount in its entirety because in it god gives us what makes him happy what his desire for our life is he teaches us things that to be real honest with you, are contrary to a lot of a lot of what society tells us, tells us is right, and he contradicts that. He says that's not right. He said I'd rather you live this way, and this is more pleasing to me. And so he's teaching this to his disciples. And uh, as we got to the first part of this, the Bible says that uh, he uh, uh, left the multitudes and he went up into a mountain. And when he was said, his disciples came unto him. We talked about the difference between being part of the multitudes and being the disciple. And we each have the choice, don't we? God doesn't force us. God gives every one of us a choice. We can either be the multitudes that are gathered around to see something unique and amazing, or we can be a disciple who says, I'm going to give up that which I love so that I can gain Christ. I want to know Him. I want to know everything about Him. I want to learn from Him. I want to learn at His feet. I want to do things that are pleasing to Him. And we have the choice whether we're going to be the multitude or whether we're going to be the disciple. If we're going to be the disciple, it's going to cost us. These disciples left their boats, their nets, their families. They left the multitudes and they went up the mountain. It took a little bit of effort, took a little bit of sacrifice on their part. In fact, it took a lot for them to come to the Lord and say, Lord, above all of these things, we desire you. I really think that ought to be the heartbeat of every Christian. That we desire God more than anything else in life. More than any of our recreational things that we enjoy, our hobbies. We ought to desire Him. There was a song years ago written that said, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Him than riches or gold. I'd rather have Him than fame and wealth and prestige. I'd rather have Him than all the kingdoms of the world. I'd rather have Christ than anything. And that ought to be the desire of every Christian's heart. And He begins to teach them in verse number 2. The Bible says, And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've spent the last three weeks dealing with these three Beatitudes. And these three are kind of grouped together among themselves as dealing with the inner man. And Christ needed to make sure that, and He was telling the disciples before you can learn anything, and before this can affect your actions, um, before you can begin to grow in this area, there are some things inwardly that need to be dealt with. He said there needed to be uh, an idea of being poor in spirit, to not be full of ourselves, to realize uh, the absolute dependency and need that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so often, we are self-sufficient, aren't we? Even in our Christian lives, we, we kind of bolster ourselves up by our, our, the way we dress, the church we attend, and the Bible that we carry. And we kind of, boy, we we got it all together, Lord. And I'll tell you what, I'm a solid Christian because of all of this. Uh, the disciples needed to get to a point, and God told them, He said, if you're going to be this disciple and you're going to learn these things, you need to learn to be poor in spirit. To not be like the church at Laodicea who said we're, uh, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but to come and to realize that we are poor and wretched and naked and blind. And we are in absolute need. And every one of us that are sitting here today, no matter how long we've been saved, no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, have a, desire, or have a need today to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ for every part of our life. We are dependent upon Him. But there's, there's the, the, the possibility from time to time, of getting to the place where we feel like we've arrived. It's interesting to me that one of the greatest Christians mentioned in Scripture, the Apostle Paul, (coughs) that when he got to the end of his ministry, he said, not as though I had already attained. He said, "I, I realize I have not reached the mark yet. He said, I'm pressing for it. I'm not there yet. And the desire of the Christian life ought to be a realization of this, that we've not arrived. We've not, we've not made it to the top of the pile. But we stand every day in dependence and in desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be that sense of humility and emptying of ourselves. And I've said this before, you cannot fill a vessel that's already full of something. There's got to be an emptying of self before the Holy Spirit can really have His full control over us. Even though He indwells us, he, he does not always control every part of our life, does He? Because we take control of that from Him. And that's what He's telling His disciples. He says, you need to be poor in your spirit. You need to get to the place where you, you need to, to have a, a dependence, an absolute dependence, uh, uh, to realize that we, we really are nothing. We really are nothing. And we really need Christ to help us to become what we ought to become. And then he talked about, in the verse number 4, they that mourn. And the idea that there needed to be a, uh, a mourning over... And again, he's talking to disciples here. He's not talking to the lost. He talks about those that are blessed that are mourning. And what would they have to be mourning over? What would disciples need to be mourning over? The only thing I can find in Scripture that as Christians we ought to mourn over is what Christ mourned over. And that was the sinfulness of man, (coughs) specifically our own sinful natures. There needs to be a view of sin the way God sees it in our lives. And and second only (coughs) to getting to the place where we become self-sufficient and then stand in need of being poor in spirit, second only to that, I believe, and maybe not even second to that, is the fact that we look at our lives and sin that we have in our lives does not seem to cause us to sorrow. We don't seem to be broken over our sin. We don't seem to look at it and say, "This, this is something that is, is is contrary to God." Understand this: our righteousness and God's righteousness don't always match up. You ever notice that? What God determines to be right is not always what we determine to be right. I, uh, many of you know, I'm a single parent. And uh, as a man, some of you ladies will attest to this probably, men are not gifted. God did not give us the natural gift of housekeeping. Hey, I'm sorry, He just didn't do it. These men that stay home and, and try to help their wives with the house, I've known wives that have said, honey, just leave it alone and let me do it. Have you ever seen that? Because uh, uh, the Bible talks about as the man wipeth the dish, and the idea in that passage when it talks about that is how poorly he does it. Because that's not the gift that God gave to him. Uh, it's interesting that I'll, I'll clean my house. And I, I, a few years ago, my mom, for the first time since I've lived up here, was coming to visit. Boy, I was excited. I, my mom and my sister were going to come up, spend a few days. And I thought, man, I am going to get my house spotless. And so, I mean, I spent a long period of time uh, trying to get my house exactly right. I, I scrubbed everything I could scrub. I, I brought the hose in the house, just washed it down from top to bottom. Not, not quite that, but almost that. And, I mean, I washed it clean. And then, because I knew that there was probably a few things I missed, not much, but maybe a few things I missed, after I'd spent days on this thing cleaning it, I hired a a lady and her husband that go into houses and clean houses. It was somebody that I knew, somebody that was a friend of mine, and I hired them to come in, and they came into my house, and they looked at it. And they had just about turned around and walked back out of it. They spent eight hours, two of them cleaning the things that I thought were clean. I use that illustration to say this, what I thought was clean was certainly not clean in their eyes. And sometimes we have that same problem, don't we? What we consider to be okay is not always what God considers to be okay. When He talks to the disciples here about blessed are they that mourn, I think it's very important for us to understand that there are times that we will consider ourselves okay. And God will say, boy, there's there's some issues there that need to be dealt with. You need to be broken over these things. Now, how do we know those things? Well, we have, to, we have to come to His Word. His Word is the only thing that will show us the areas that we think we're clean in, but we're not. We can compare ourselves to other Christians, and that's usually what we do. And that's why we think we're so righteous and so clean. Because, boy, we're way better than that person over there. But that's never our rule. That's never our, that's never our, our gauge. That's never our standard of measurement. Our standard of measurement has to be God's Word. It has to be that we'll come back to it. And by the way, I, I'm not trying to make myself, uh, or compare myself to Brother Mark or Brother Kevin or Brother Harold. I'm not trying to compare myself to them and, and say, well, how do I measure up in, in relation to how they live their life? Uh, that, that is of, of no concern to me. What has to be of concern to me is, how do I measure up with this book right here? Because it's the authority. I love Brother Kevin, but he's not my authority. I love Brother Mark, but he's not my authority. I love Brother Harold, he's not my authority. What my authority is, is this book. And when it comes to is my life the way it should be, I have to say, is it lining up with Scripture? Not, is it better than my friend over here? And so he tells the disciples, you need to get to a place where sin is sinful to you again. You need to see sin the way <coughs> that I see sin. And when I mourn over sin, you need to be that way. And then in verse number five, he spoke, and then we dealt with this last week. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are the meek. And meek doesn't mean weak, by the way. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're just a, a, somebody that you let everybody just walk all over top of you. That's not what we're talking about here. <clears throat> the idea of meekness is having the power but giving it over willingly. In other words, let me put it this way. God gave to each one of us a free will, did He not? By the way, there are only two wills in the world. There is our will, and there is God's will. And our will was given to us by God. He gives us that free will. What meekness is, is to come and say, Lord, even though You've given me free will, and I have every right to use that, You've allowed me to, I am willingly... Taking my will and saying, I want you to have it. The psalmist said it this way Oh, that my ways were thy ways. That's meekness. To take what is allowed to us by God and say, Lord, thank you for allowing me. Now, I want most in my life for your will to be accomplished. By the way, what did Christ say his will was? Christ said, My will is to do the will of my Father. Isn't He our great example, the Lord Jesus Christ? Even though Christ had a will in the matter, His will was to do the will of His Father. That's what He wanted to do more than anything was what His Father's will was. In fact, in 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 Gethsemane, just before His crucifixion, as He's praying there and He's sweating great drops of blood, He says, Father, if there be any other way, but He made this statement, nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. That's meekness. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ could say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. He tells the disciples, he says, listen, before you can learn all these things, I need to teach you. There needs to be an inward being of these three things. There needs to be some things done on the inward part, the heart, that address these three areas. We can never get to verse number 6 fully until we have the first three, the verse 3 Beatitudes taken care of. There needs to be a poorness of spirit. There needs to be a mourning over sin. There needs to be a meekness before we can ever accomplish fully in our life verse number 6. Notice what it says here. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. I was listening to a friend of mine that's a pastor, and he was preaching on this verse, and he used an illustration that I'm going to use. I'm going to borrow it from him. How many of you like Chick-fil-A restaurants? Any of you like Chick-fil-A? They have a pretty good chicken sandwich. You ever seen one of them when they open up? For days, sometimes three or four days, before the grand opening, cars start arriving in the parking lot. People start setting tents up. They, 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 they start camping out in the park. They, they, they bring chairs and lounge chairs and tents. And they'll stay there literally day and night for days trying to be one of the first hundred guests into the restaurant. Anybody know why they do that? Chick-fil-A, for the first hundred guests that come into the brand new store, get a, I think it's a year's supply of chicken sandwiches. One a week for a year. It might be two a week for a year. They're hungry for that sandwich, and it motivates them. Their appetite for that Chick-fil-A sandwich motivates them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Their appetite just really was a motivating factor. And When the Lord Jesus Christ here speaks of the fact that blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, notice he's not speaking here of an appetite for physical food, but he's speaking here of having an appetite for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking here of of seeking and desiring the way that we desire food. And don't we all understand this? I remember when I was in college, my sophomore year, uh, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of money, and uh, I was trying to pay my way through college, and I had a couple jobs. And one of my jobs began on Friday at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And my shift for my job went from 5 o'clock Friday afternoon until 10 o'clock Sunday morning. That was my shift. I was on duty during that time. I, I, I couldn't sleep. It wasn't a place. I, I had to be awake, and I had to, had to, I had to be at work on location for that period of time and would work a lot of hours over the weekend so that I could pay my bill on, uh, to the college. The college only allowed us. We paid for room and board. And uh, so if we were going to be away from the campus for an eight-hour shift or a ten-hour shift, they understood some guys worked uh, overtime overtime. They would allow us to get two sack lunches to take with us to the to the to the um, uh, to work. What they didn't account for was somebody that had to work from five o'clock Friday till ten o'clock Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell you what I was I was you know 19 years old. I'm a growing boy, you know, almost a full grown man, and my appetite was strong. And I'll be real frank with you. I was I was hungry. I was very skinny at the time, very athletic. I burned a lot of calories. And it was in the middle of winter in the Chicago area, and it was outdoor work. And I'm going to tell you what, I got so hungry on those weekends, so hungry. I didn't have money to buy food. And I remember the pain of the, that hunger. And I, I told the Lord years ago, I said, Lord, if I ever get to where I can pay and afford a meal, I will never be hungry again. And you can tell I haven't been. <clears throat> I hate being, my kids will tell you, I hate being hungry. I was in Haiti a number of years ago. I was watching as these, these kids who didn't have much food. In fact, we went to an orphanage and they got a, each got a helping of rice. <clears throat> they got two helpings of rice a day is all they could eat. And they were fortunate. As we drove down the roads, we watched people that were making uh, patties out of the mud and some herbs. And they would put them out on these rocks and let them stiffen up. And then they would eat them and in, in, in just trying to take that, that hunger out of their stomach. The mud and herbs. They just didn't have any food. Jesus telling His disciples here, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Probably one of the greatest disparities in the Christian life in the day that we live is for Christians that will say, I want to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. I've had people over the years Say, well, I just don't get a lot out of church. I've heard people say, boy, I I tell you, when I first came here in the church, it was exciting and I got so much out of it. And and boy, it was stirring my heart. And then after a year or two or three to say, well, I'm just not getting as much out of it as I used to. I, I just don't seem to be getting a whole lot. We begin to lose our appetite. I want, to, I want to deal with this for a few moments this morning, if I may, and try to be a help to you. I'm not the world's best cook, and because of that, my son and I, we eat out a lot, but I do cook some, and, and I try to buy uh, stuff at the grocery store. Uh, I don't know what it's like to make a shopping list. Ladies, I don't, I, I know you all do that. You have to be organized. I don't do that. I just show up, and what looks good, I grab it and I buy it, and usually it doesn't get used and ends up in the trash sometime later. I remember my daughter coming a few years ago. In fact, my my middle daughter came yesterday to my house, surprised me. She came up for the weekend from going to college, and she walked in the door and surprised me. First thing she did, go to the refrigerator. Poor college student, that's what they do. She opened the refrigerator, she looked in there, she said, Dad, you don't have any food. I have all kinds of food in there. I I mean, I have really good stuff in there. You know, I got got, uh, yogurt and... Uh I think I had some Apple Jacks and um, I think in my cabinet I had some Swiss cake rolls and I had some, oh, I had some ranch Dorito chips. And oftentimes I'll cook a meal and my son will say, dad, I'm just not hungry. You know why he's not hungry? You guys will know why parents. Why, why is he not hungry? Because between breakfast and lunch, what was he doing? He's going to the pantry. He's getting the chips out. Not a wholesome meal, but junk food. And because of that, he didn't have any appetite, did he? The the thing that was good for him, the meal that I did fix, it was a decent meal, he didn't have a hunger for anymore. You know why? Because he had filled up his stomach with things that weren't that healthy. There's There's a lesson to be learned by this. The Bible tells us, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. All of us have appetites. But our appetites are not always after the things of righteous righteousness. And one of the reasons we do not hunger and thirst for righteousness is because we have appeased our appetite with other things. We begin to appease it with... I, I, I was listening to one fellow. He said, what do you listen to when you're cleaning the house? You put the headphones on. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of, when you go to work out, well, you need that driving beat, right? You need to get that, 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 that heartbeat up. He talked about things you put in your ears. <clears> he <throat> you talked about the things that we watch on our computers, on our television sets, the places we go for entertainment, the things that we uh, allow our minds to think about and dwell on. And then we wonder why there's no appetite when we come to church. It's because we have filled the heart our will not his we have we have we have filled the appetites with things that are not good for us you know, I've heard people say well I just I just don't seem to get a lot out of my Bible reading anymore I, I just I've tried I've prayed and it just doesn't seem like God is It's really there, and he's not really hearing my prayer. And I talked to a fellow this week about that. I just don't know that he's answering my prayer. I'm really trying. I'm struggling here. I used to enjoy going to church. I used to love the things of the Lord. I don't enjoy them much anymore. You've lost your appetite. Can I help you with something? The way you get your appetite back... I remember when I was a kid, and we weren't allowed to go to the pantry unless we asked Mama... And in between lunch and supper, if I said, Hey, Mom, can I get some cookies? She would say, No. It will spoil your what? Your supper. Can I tell you the best way to get your appetite back is to quit feeding the flesh? And you'll have an appetite for righteousness. What some of us need to do is ask God to come and open our spiritual pantry door and do like my daughter did a few months ago, my oldest daughter, when she came to visit me. She came to my pantry and she pulled the trash can over and she began to grab one thing after another and throw it in the trash. Dad, that's not good for you. Dad, that's not good for you. And what we need to do sometimes in our life is to have God come to our spiritual pantry and look inside here and say, that's not good for you. Get it out of your life. You've been watching those things, not good for you. You've been listening to that stuff, not good for you. You've been going to those places, not good for you. You've been entertaining yourself that way, not good for you. And all of a sudden, you won't have anything in the pantry. And when dinner time comes and it's time, you're going to say, man, I'm starving. I can't wait to come to my Bible and see what God has to tell me today. Boy, we get to go to church on Sunday morning. I wish pastor preached three times longer. I haven't heard anybody ever say that one. But where is that hunger and thirst for righteousness? Our appetite will determine two things. It will determine, number one, what we are. I found this, that we always find the time to do the things we want to do, don't we? And the second thing is, our appetite will control what we do. It will control, first of all, what we are on the inside. It will control, secondly, what we do. And here's the problem. The Bible teaches us that we should keep our bodies in subjection. We should keep our minds. The Bible says keep their heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In Philippians, it tells us that we're to to, uh, think on things that are pure and just and right and holy. The importance of keeping our heart. Here's the problem that we face when we should be, as God's children, When we should be controlling our appetites, what we're instead doing is allowing our appetites to control us. By the way, that's why our churches are in the messes that they're in. Because they're filled with people in the congregation and even in the leadership that want their appetites to control what they do in the church. And so they bring the world in. They bring the things that cause people to say, boy, that was an exciting service. The smoke was great. The lights were great. The sound was awesome. The music was there. It made me tap my foot on the ground. And I'll tell you, I could—I just had a sense and a feeling. There was a stirring of emotion. I have no doubt. But we have allowed the appetite to control us. Rather than saying, I want to control my appetite... So that I'll hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yes, I want that Swiss cake roll, but I'm not going to eat it because I get to have broccoli for supper. I'm not saying that the Bible's like broccoli, I am saying this righteousness and the hunger and thirst for it is certainly good for us, it's wholesome for us. By the way, it's by that that we grow spiritually. We will never get to the place where there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness if we are not poor in spirit, if we do not mourn over our sin, and if we do not have a spirit of meekness. There needs to be a revival of God's people that will say, I'm going to control my appetite. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. We're going to look at two passages and we'll be done. Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 11. Jesus is speaking here and He said, A certain man had two sons, the younger of them, said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there, what? Wasted his substance with what? Riotous living. Could we say that his appetites were controlling him? Oh, absolutely. He did whatever seemed right, whatever his heart desired. He did not spare anything back. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Because of his hunger for the things that that he wanted, he found himself in a position where his hunger was not satisfied. And when he had come to himself, verse number 17, I want you to see this, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread and enough to spare, and I perish with what? Hunger. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. When he left his father, he was demanding. His inheritance. When he returns to his father, he is humbled. He says, Father, I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I'll be your servant. What caused him to change his attitude? Hunger. If he had left his father the way he returned to his father... He might have been able to return to His Father the way He left His Father. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then one of the greatest promises that we've seen yet in the Beatitudes. For they shall be what? Filled. Isn't that amazing? Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What an amazing thought. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. In verse number 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And this woman is, is, is honoring and magnifying Jacob and the, the well that had been. He's, she's, she's, she's giving glory to the well. And, and Jesus answered in verse number 13 and said, Under her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall what? Thirst again. It doesn't satisfy, does it? the appetites that are the wrong appetites, the appetites that are not things of righteousness, but are the things of our will, the things of the world, they will cause us to thirst again. In fact, Jesus spoke of the fact when He said, I am the bread of life. He was speaking the fact to the Jews. He said, you you uh, ate the manna in the wilderness, and they all perished. But He said, I am the bread of life. Those that take of this bread shall not perish. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the kind of thing I hunger and thirst for. I hunger and thirst for that which will satisfy. I look for something in my life that the Bible says, if I will hunger and thirst after it, it will fill me up. And I'll be satisfied. The things in the world, they don't satisfy, do they? No. I, I have been to the place in my life, I'm ashamed to say, but I, I'll be honest with you, I have been to the place in my life, In my past, where I felt like, Lord, I'm just not getting much out of my walk. I'm not, I I don't, I I go to church because I know I should, but I'm not getting a whole lot out of it. I'm reading my Bible because I know I should, but I'm not getting a whole lot out of it. It seemed like my heart was like a cold stone. You ever been there before? I've been there. I can look back at that time in my life and realize that I was filling my heart with a lot of other things that really didn't matter. I had appetites and desires. And I was I was letting those things go go unchecked, pretty much. I'm thankful it wasn't in deep sin or anything like that. But I I will say this: it certainly wasn't towards the things of the Lord. I was too, too sidetracked. Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those people that are filled. I want to make sure that my appetite is controlled. That I can point it to righteousness. I can point it to Christ and say, Lord, I want You more than anything. I want Your righteousness in my life. And so He teaches His disciples. He says, if you're going to be disciples, I know you've paid the price. You've given up that which you love. You've separated yourself from the multitude. You've come up onto the mountain. I've told you how you need to be inwardly. He said, now here's your first step. The first step in being a disciple. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness. When we have the opportunity to attend something where we will spend time praising God together, hearing some preaching, or we have an opportunity to do something in the world, what is our choice? You see, we have the appetite, do we not? To do whatever our will wants to do. But rather than let that appetite control us, why not say I'm going to control it? And I want with my appetite, more than anything, the righteousness of God. I want to walk after Him. I want to seek Him. And by the way, it will be amazing. It will be amazing how the pages of Scripture will begin to open up in your heart and in your mind. You'll, you'll start coming to church, and even though you have to sit here and listen to me every week, you'll get something out of it. And you'll be like, wow, that was good. I enjoyed being there. Not because I'm a good preacher, but because your heart is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. God gave us the promise... If we can hunger and thirst after it, He'll fill us. He'll fill us. That's what I'm looking for in my life. I hope that's what you're looking for in your life. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful that You've taught us today again, that Your Holy Spirit has brought to light some things that uh, sometimes we read, and we kind of tuck it back and we know a little bit. But, Lord, sometimes we just need to devour that truth and to dissect it and to feast upon it. And Lord, this morning is one of those cases where we need to understand this need to hunger and to thirst.